Oh, all you young kids, go upstairs. <laughs> Y'all have a good time. If you would, turn around and look, look what's going out the doors. What do you see? You see First Baptist Church in the future. We are blessed if people see the needs of our young people. I was born in Virginia in 1937. I'm old, but I'm not decrepit. I'm getting there. My mom and dad, my dad worked overseas during World War II, building the Pan American Highway. I didn't know my dad until I was about five or six years old when he came home from work. My mom raised us kids at home. There was four of us, three brothers and a sister. She taught us respect. When I mean respect, I mean for men, women, children, to show that they are loved by the parents and most of all loved by Jesus Christ. Mom read the Bible to us. She said, now y'all need to go to Sunday school. Well, I didn't have no car, didn't have no transportation, had to walk a mile and a half, get my neighbors to go to Sunday school. We went periodically. One March, went to a little old church at home called Hebrew Baptist Church. Revival. Well, at nine years old, me and my brother, my older brother, got saved. Now, in my younger years, I did things what teenagers shouldn't do. And I was one of them and I shouldn't do, but I did still. But God is a forgiving God. When we come down look him in the face and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. They're as scarlet as red. You make them white as snow. I married my wife in 1958. 64 years and eight months we had together. She helped raise my three boys and my daughter. Mind you, I said our daughters. And the rule at the house was, wait until Dad gets home, you're going to be in trouble. I want to go back when we moved here in 1973. Julia, your grandpa was an instrumental 
Carl Pack, Derek Peters, Carl Frazier, and Dale Meeks were instrumental in nurturing our family. We uh, came to church together. We cried together. We laughed together. And we vacationed together. That's what family does. Show honor to your loved one. I was told under no circumstances to keep it short. I won't call who she was. But come, Mar come next June, I'll be at this church 50 years. And it's sad to say this is the only second time that I've been in the pulpit. But I feel honored to be here. It's uh, like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs. You don't never know what's going to happen. But I didn't sleep good last night. In fact, I haven't slept in over a week. Thinking, what do I need to say? And I said, Lord, it's in your hands. Give me what you want me to say. I've got scriptures to read from the Old Testament and the New Testament. Going to Moses in Exodus 20, verse 12. says, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land of which the Lord God has given you. If you don't honor your parents, you don't honor no one. They brought you into this world, and God will take you out of this world. Knowing that you are loved by your parents, regardless of what you do, their love is everlasting. I'm going into Peter, First Peter. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 7. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husband, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Now, ladies, I'm not picking on you all. I'm getting the men next. Husbands, likewise, bear with them with understanding, ye giving honor to the wife, to the weaker vessel and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. God will see us through trials and tribulations. We've had several deaths in our church here recently. 
told Ivy, my wife, Paul David Miller. Paul David Miller's family go to the nursing home to take him down on grill. They was there Sundays, the whole family. That's what family does. Family shows love for their loved one. I was taught, yes ma'am, no ma'am, thank you, and please. If you didn't get that, mom would give you something else to remember by. So, ladies and gentlemen, I love you all. Thank you very much, and God bless. Amen. I believe um, 60, 65 years, is that right, Jim? Is that how long you were married? Eight months, almost 65 years. Me and my wife, we, we hit 20, um, 28 years next month, and uh, that's a goal that I have. That's a blessing. Um, after, after then, I'm going to leave her and move on, but um, uh, I'm joking. Uh, uh, but uh, it is it's a blessing, and Valentine's Day, what better than, than we could do is get excited about, about how much blessed we are to have one another. If you would, turn with me to Acts um, chapter 22 is where we're going to be. Um, and just as we've been hearing testimonies, um, and we want to share with you today, everyone who has believed the gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, has a testimony. And I want to share something at the beginning as, as we look into this. Uh, the Apostle Paul um, has now um, showed up in, the, in Jerusalem. And they had been telling Joe, um, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to have some problems. They're going to get a hold of you. They're going to arrest you. So just don't go to, to Jerusalem. Um, but yet he felt the Spirit leading him, and, and he goes into Jerusalem. And then in chapter 21, we see that they put hands on Paul, have him arrested, and they put two chains on him, and they beat him, and they want to kill him. So... He's in a spot that most of us have never been in. Right now, um, Jim shared his testimony, um, and he shared it among smiling faces and people accepting what he was saying. Um, but that's not the, what's going to happen in the life of the Apostle Paul here today. He is not sharing his testimony with people who want to hear his testimony. He's sharing his testimony with someone who wants to kill him. Someone who just beat him. Someone who just had him arrested. So you see that this is, this is a different understanding of what we feel like the need of. Majority of people to say today, well, they say, I, I, I would share my testimony, but <laughs> I don't think anybody wants to hear it. I don't think anybody wants to pay attention to that thing, that my, what happened to me or something of that nature. What I want to show you today is that's a lie from the devil. And that every single one of us have a story to tell, and we need to tell the story of the grace of God in our lives. And we could sum up um, Paul's testimony 
in three words. And I'm going to give you those three words if you're taking notes. These are my three points. All right, the very first one is before. Before. How was Paul's life, what was his life like before he met Jesus Christ? Before Paul became a follower of Jesus Christ. And you could put that in, in with me and you as well. What was my life like before I met Jesus? What was my life like before I started following Jesus Christ? I became a follower of Jesus Christ at the age of nine. Um, I had not robbed any banks. I had not had um, any external affairs. At, um, I've not done any of those things. I didn't beat anybody up. Well, no, there was one guy, but he deserved it. Um, uh, amen. Uh, uh, you know, all these different things that we don't know how you were before, but even if you was nine years old like me and Jim, or if you was 20 or 50 or whatever years old, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you still have what? Testimony, a story to tell. Okay, before, how you were before you met Jesus. How? How is the second one. Talk about how did Paul meet Christ? How did you meet Christ? In what circumstance was happening, how Christ saved you? Third one is after. After. What happened to Paul after he met Jesus? What happened to you after you believed upon Jesus Christ. So you got those three words, before, how, and after, that tells us about our testimony. Every one of us has a story of grace to tell. Every one of us have different details. And they don't need to be scary details. They don't need to be that you got a tattoo in, in somewhere down in Miami, Florida, and beat up six people and got put in jail or anything of that nature in, in the sense that way. If it does, man, that's an awesome story. Especially if that type tattoo says, I love mom, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? And a drunk guy wrote it on your arm, or something of that nature. We have an elderly man in our church who moved away, and, uh, and he has a tattoo on his arm. And I'm not going to tell you who he is, because I don't want to share his short story with you. But he has a tattoo on his arm that looks like I drew it. And I asked him, I said, Bear, how, how drunk were you when you let that guy do that? <laughs> You know, and he has a story to tell. He says, you know, I was, before I met Christ, this is what I would do. I'd let drunk people draw on me. You know what I'm saying? Some of you are like, Lord knows, that's my testimony, you know. Um, so I, however that is, we don't know what your testimony is, but we all have one and they're all different. But the most important thing is this, we've all, we who have been saved have been saved by God's grace. We got met Christ in different ways in different times in our life in different areas and different locations. But the same blood that covered the Apostle Paul's sin covered Jim's sin, covered my sin, and will cover your sin today if you believe upon Jesus Christ. The same one who changed the Apostle Paul will change my heart and change your heart today. Our testimonies are a direct reflection of the indisputable, life-changing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our story. And we can understand that we're so blessed that we got that story that Christ gave us. And we see it in verse 1 um, of Acts chapter 22. And I want you to read with me, if you would. Um, verse 1. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And I want to back up and remind you that Paul got arrested. He's got chains on him. 
He got beat. And these people are saying, kill him, kill him. And he looks over at the Greek, at, oh, look at the Roman soldier in, in Greek. He asked him, would you let me say a few words to these people, these accusers? And this man was amazed that he knew his language. And he said, yeah, go ahead. So he gets up and he greets these people who hate him with gentleness and respect, inviting his listeners to lean forward. And this is what he calls them, brethren, brothers, which means from the same womb, and father, which means a model or a mentor. So he gets their attention by referring to them as brethren and fathers. And we see these people hate him. They want him dead. But he is treating them with kindness and respect. He loved these people. Why did he love these people? Listen to me. He loved these people because Jesus loved these people enough to give his life for them. And now the Lord has put it upon the Apostle Paul's heart to love even his enemy, to care for the, even the one who despitefully used him and wanted to kill him just like they did Christ. And he's getting up and he's going to share with them his story. It kind of reminds me of Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak. For it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. What in the world would you say to a crowd of people who just beat you? What in the world would you say to a crowd of people who was calling for your death? I guarantee me and you would have a few choice words for them. And it would not start with brethren and fathers. It would be the other direction is where we most would be going. There is no way that we would have a kind word for them. But listen, Paul loved these people because Christ loved these people. And Paul forgave these people because Paul was forgiven by Jesus Christ. Me and you today have to be very careful because we would hurt people for a lot less. We get angry at people in traffic. We get angry at people politically standing. We get angry at people for having ideas that don't go along with our ideas. So how in the world would we not get angry at people that wanted to kill us? What we need to understand is that we need to learn how to be kind and compassionate and have love for one another. And in verse 2, you see how he even does it even more so. After he calls them brethren and fathers, in verse 2 he says, And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. 
I have to remind people of this all the time, but I am bilingual. <laughs> and one of them is not even English. So, uh, But in my foreign language that I know, that's not my heart language. When you speak that language to me, I can understand you, but I still have a difficulty and I have to translate it in my mind and tell me in English what you're saying to me. And it's still a difficulty. When I was there, it was not so bad. It translated automatically and it didn't have to go into English and have to go through all that, those different compartments. Um, I actually started, when I lived there, I would dream in Romanian. And that's very odd. If you've learned a foreign language and lived in a foreign country and you f dream in a foreign language, it's really scary when that happens because it's never happened before. My boys have not been in that situation in a long time, and they still have dreams in a foreign language that they no longer speak fluently. So it's really odd. But you have this, this language, this heart language, and it's English for all of us. It's hillbilly for us. Um, and Paul begins by choosing to speak their heart language. He engages them emotionally and takes them off guard. He could have used Koine Greek. He could have used anything else. But he was not talking to anybody but the Jews there that were trying to kill him at this time. And we need today to take Paul's approach and learn to be kind and look for ways to connect to the heart of people. And that's so important for me and you today. To be able to understand is that we need to connect with each other in ways that we do with, with the heart. And that's what Paul did. He connected with their heart language. He spoke to them in Hebrew. So what did he say? Just in Matthew we read, what would you say to these people? You know what? God was going to tell Paul exactly what to say. And you asked me today, well, I, I, I would share my testimony with somebody, but what would I say? Listen to me. God's going to tell you exactly what to say. He is going to give you the exact words to speak. You just have to trust the Lord in that. So here he is. He's calling them brethren. He called them fathers. He's speaking Hebrew to them, their heart language. So what is he going to say? The very first thing he's going to tell, him, tell them how he was before he met Jesus Christ. Read with me in verses 3, 4, and 5. I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicilia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's laws, and was zealous to award God as you all are today. I persecuted this way. The way is what they called all of the people who believed in Jesus Christ and followed Jesus Christ. So listen what he says. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest bears me witness and all the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren and went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. So at the very beginning, he reminded them who he was before he met Christ. And honestly, what he told them was, I was just like you all. I was not only 
persecuting the way the people who believed and followed Jesus Christ, I was the leader and I actually had papers, I had authority to be able to persecute and hurt and punish these believers who, who follow Jesus Christ. He said to them that I have that right. I'm a Jew just like you. I was a zealous just like you. And I hurt these people just like you did. He allowed them and he allowed them to understand and to remember that at one time he was their leader. So he allowed them to see who he was before he met Christ. When you're telling your testimony, it is important that you tell people who you were before you met Christ. It is not important that you fill in all of the details of what you did before you met Christ. You do not have to glorify in how what you did or how you did it or anything of that nature. Um, but what you can do is allow them to know that you were a sinner far from God at that time. And that's what Apostle Paul was out of knowing. He said, you know what? I was just like you, but I, was, I had authentication. I had papers, and I was the official one leader of you all as I was doing this. And the second thing, and he moves on what, how he was before he met Christ. Now he's going to tell them the story of how he met Christ. And I want you to hear this. Because Paul spends the bulk of his testimony time on how he came to, came to faith in Christ. If you're sharing your testimony and you spend an hour on what you did before you met Christ and 10 seconds on how you met Christ and, and 10 seconds on, on what you did after you met Christ, where's the point in that? It's me, right? It's how I was. But Paul spends the bulk of his testimony listening of how he met Christ on the road to Damascus. Read with me in verses 6 through 16. And I'm not going to go deep into it because we just preached on this about two months ago when he shared it for the first time. Verse 6 says this, Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice to me saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So I answered, who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. So I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light being led by the hand of those of who were with me, I came into Damascus. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to law, having a good testimony with all Jews who dwelt there, came to me. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, while you are waiting, arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. That is what happened to Paul after he, when he met Jesus Christ. Paul, here he sees this huge light. He's overwhelmed on the road to Damascus going to pers persecute Christians and he 
sees this ginormous light and he sees and Jesus comes to me comes to him and he asked two questions. The very first question is the most important question that you will ever ask in your whole entire life. The first question is this, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And you he asked that question this morning, if you've never asked that question, the greatest day of your life is today. You need to ask, who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And listen to what Jesus said to Paul when he, when he, when he asked, that, answered that, asked that question. I am Jesus of Nazareth. You know who I am? I'm that guy you're persecuting. It's me. And Paul's like, wait a minute. He didn't say this, but me, I'm just going to add this for you. Didn't we kill you? Didn't we win this fight already? But you know what? Jesus died on that cross and he was placed in that borrowed tomb. But you know what he did on the third day according to the scriptures? He resurrected out of that grave. And now he bumps up against the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul's blinded by this great light and he looks and he sees a man in front of him. He said, who are you, Lord? You know, there's going to be a time in your life right now that you have to meet Jesus. You can either meet him today when you have the opportunity to get down on your knees and confess that he is the Lord of your life, or you can wait until it's too late. But even when it's too late, on the other side of eternity, you're still going to get, have to get down on your knees and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know what the Bible says? Every tongue will confess. Every knee shall bow to the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you know what? I would rather ask who he is right now and understand that he is my Lord and he understand that what he's done for me. His name is Jesus, which means Savior, and he is the Lord, our master. And you must come to grips with Jesus as Lord for him to be your Savior. We need to realize that that's who he is. He's Lord of all. He is the King of kings. He is Lord of all. Then the second question he asked him is this, what should I do, Lord? What should I do? Why would he ask this question? You ask the question, what should I do? Is because you just met your Lord. After you've met your Lord, your Lord now tells you what to do and when to do it. So the first thing to ask after you met your Lord is say, now what do you want me to do, Lord? And he recognized that Jesus is his Lord. Once we've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, now we become a slave, a bondservant of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's who we are. That's what happened. And he shared with all these Jews how he met the Lord. And then we see in, in verses 17 through 21 what happened after he met the Lord. In verse 17 it says this, Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, that I was in a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for there will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I'm imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting unto his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. And then he said to, him, to me, Depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. 
Paul described how his life changed. And we see here today that the Lord tells him, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. After Paul met Jesus, Jesus gave Paul a job. And his job was to go to all the Gentiles and preach the gospel. You know what that means? The gospel gets to come to me and you. Because Paul recognized Jesus as Lord. And after he got saved, he asked Jesus, Now what do you have me to do? Paul is saying this, God changed my heart. The question is this, Has God changed our heart today? Have we met him? Has there been a before? Has there been a how? Has there been an after in my life and in your life? We need to come to a place to understand that Jesus has changed us. But just like we are in a room today full of a lot of believers, um, there's a lot of side effects to Christianity. Um, have you ever watched the, 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 the commercials on TV? I get kind of tickled sometimes. I saw one other day that you could take that pill and lose 25 pounds. But then after the commercial, these people talking about how, how they lost this weight and how they lost that weight, then they afterwards, it was, it was a guy that was really fast talking come on it and started telling them about all the side effects. Well, no wonder you lost 25 pounds, sweetie. You're bleeding out of everything you know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's horrible everything that's happening until you all the side effects that, you're, that you, you have. I'd rather have 25 pounds and have all that stuff happening to me. But in Christianity, listen, there are some side effects. And it's because we're human. It's not because Jesus makes them, made a mistake. It's not because God the Father made a mistake. It's not because the Holy Spirit makes a mistake. It's because me and you are a mess. And even after we believe on Jesus Christ, it's important to remember that He's still working on us. Right? That's important for us to remember today. And we are not perfect after salvation. But God has begun that good work in us, and he is going to continue that. And those possible side effects is this. Many Christians live the way they shouldn't live without even realizing it. Some people live this way. All talk and no walk. We might confess Christ, but deny him by how we live. Our acting is not fooling anybody. We have all the talk in the world, but we have none of the walk. But then there's the opposite of that. We have the walk, but absolutely no talk. What happens there is simply this. We might cultivate a Christian life, but deny him by never telling anybody about it. We love Jesus, we just ain't going to tell nobody. Or we love Jesus and we live like the devil. These are side effects, problems that occur after we've been saved. But they don't stop there. There are multiple side effects after we have become Christians that, that we fall by the wayside. Many times we feel like God's instructions are suggestions. The commandments comes from the Lord are not suggestions. They're not things that we can live by if we feel like it. 
They are not things that we can live by if that's what we feel like doing at this particular moment in our life, and it fits us. The commandments that we have in the Lord are commandments, not suggestions, but many live by them as suggestions. Many people today believe the Bible is an asset. It's nice to have, but it's not the authority. You know what today? God's holy word is the authority in our life. It's what we live by. It's how we know God, and it's how we know how to live today. It's authority, not just an asset. Many people believe that Jesus is their Savior, but they do not believe that he is the Lord of their life. Today, he is not only the Lord of your life, he is the Lord of lords and the King of kings. Many people see church as encouraging, but church is not just encouraging. Church is essential. It is what we are called to do to gather together to praise his holy name. Many believe that they pray when, when everything else falls. But prayer is not out of desperation, but prayer is out of communion with God. It's being able to talk to God on a daily basis. Many people believe that worship is just music, and you will get whatever you feel like it. But worship is not music. Worship is a lifestyle. Worship is honoring and glorifying God Almighty. It's praising his holy name. And, you know, we were taught a song as a, as a child growing up, and, and I, I know it's corny and people have forgotten about it, but when we were kids, we used to sing the song, He's still working on me to make me who I ought to be. What did he do? It took just a week to make the moon and the stars, Jupiter and Mars. Is that how it goes? But you know what? He's still working on me. What we need to realize is this. The Lord knew us before we were even born in our mother's womb. He knew us in the sin that we were in. And he knew how we lived. And then you know what happened to us? He introduced us to his son, Jesus Christ. And after we met Christ, that he began that good work in us. And he's going to perform that work until the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. What we need to do is to give God the glory by telling the story of God's grace in our life. What's your story? What's your before? What's your how? What's your after? If you don't have one of those stories, I invite you today to repent of your sins and to believe on Jesus Christ. And ask this question. Who are you? Who are you Lord? He is Jesus of Nazareth. The one that you've been persecuting. Believe upon Jesus today. And ask him. What should I do next Lord? And he will tell you where to go. I don't, if you, unless you've been under a rock. And it would be a big rock for some of you. Y'all were, I was losing a couple of you there. There was something that happened um, Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock in the state of Commonwealth of Kentucky. 
in the chapel service of Asbury University. Abby from our church um, attends school there. But revival started. And they're still having church right now since Wednesday morning at 11 o'clock. It's serious. And God's people are being saved and changed even as we speak. And everybody always wonders when this happens, what caused that? And you think, man, that must have been an amazing sermon. That must have been something so unbelievable. The guy must have been charismatic. It just must have been wild. You can watch the service online. But I got the scriptures that he read as the, before the revival started. And I want to read these scriptures to you. And I'll, as you pay attention to these scriptures, I want you to see, ask yourself, Lord, why did you, how did you use these scriptures to start such a revival among the young people of Wilmore, Kentucky? How did that work? And listen to the scriptures. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will hope heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. How did God use his word to bring revival? The preacher read these words and spoke these words. And a young lady walked the aisle and confessed. As a believer, she's not behaving like a Christian should. And she was not doing what these words said. And that she was living a false life in front of other people. 
She was, walk, she was talking the talk, but she wasn't walking the walk. And that young lady, not caring who was there or anything of that nature, confessed her sins. And then another came. And then another came. And then another came. Until absolutely every one of those were confessing their sins and said, Lord, I've missed the mark. I'm not living the way that you've plain laid out for me to live. Forgive me. And the forgiveness of God came upon that place. And they worshipped him in truth and in spirit. That's how revival begins. By confessing our sins. Confessing that what we've done is missed the mark. And that we've fallen short of the glory of God. Listen to the Apostle Paul. These people just dragged him out of the, his house, beat him, put chains on him, wanted to kill him more than anything in this world. But the only thing that the Apostle Paul could think about is how much Jesus loves these people. Right now, if someone drug you out of this room, if someone beat you if someone tried to kill you uh, no, I, I'm going to go back if someone looked crossways at you you'd be mad I'd be mad someone cut you off in traffic you get mad someone touches your little baby you get mad I mean we got a whole long list of things that we get mad about Sometimes we just get mad, right? Well, you know what the Apostle Paul did? He didn't care about any of that stuff. But he loved people who hated him. Why? Because while he was yet a sinner, Christ loved him. And the only way we're going to be able to start revival today is, is by saying, and I'm a sinner. If it was not for the grace of God, I'd be nothing. Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. May we put our faith in Jesus Christ. May we repent of our sins and believe the gospel. For God, we